Welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. As always, we are here in Lawfather Studios, right within Lawfather headquarters. One of the last few shows, I believe, that will be happening here in uh, this particular Lawfather headquarters. So we're expecting to move here uh, in, a, in a short bit. So um, be on the lookout for that, and I will keep you all updated as to where we're going to be. I'm sure I'll let Jason know because, uh, well, you know, he'll be the one coming over here, and uh, you know, we've got to know where to, where to meet. But Anyway, just, you know, one of the things, too, um, as we get into the beginning of the show, I don't know why I stumbled all over that, but hey, you know, it is what it is, and I do this live, and uh, even though it's not put out live, but I, I one shot, one, one take is how we do this. But anyway, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and check out all of our social media. That's where I was going with all of that. So one of the, what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the Stoneman Douglas uh, school shooting and uh, more specifically talking about the law enforcement officer who was the first one there to respond who uh, was charged criminally with it and uh, has a pending civil lawsuit uh, as a result of his actions or I guess you could potentially say in other words uh, his inactions uh, during that shooting you know it, just off off as an aside right I, I was I was looking up some of the things uh, before the show today to just to try to nail some things down in it. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's a really sad thing that we're in a position where I couldn't remember which shooting this was, Jason. I, I, I looked at it and go, I just don't remember. Like I had a hard time finding at least initially what I was looking for because I couldn't remember. I kept thinking, I thought it was Stoneman Douglas. And when I did the search, I got an old lawsuit from, uh, I want to say it was 2022, maybe it had been 2021. Um, then I was like, well, okay, well, no, no, this must have been Uvalde. And because uh, I know there were some issues that happened there and, and uh, some other things. I looked that up and that, that wasn't right. Somehow I stumbled upon that it actually is Stoneman Douglas, uh, which is what I originally was, was thinking anyway. But it, it just... You know, it's just a, a sad place to be. I'm not going to turn this into a debate on um, gun laws and and the the politics behind that, because quite frankly, I'm a proponent of owning guns. And uh, you know, just like uh, you know, state of Florida allows concealed carry without a permit now, right? Um, you know, I, and the reality is that the these school shootings that have happened have really shown no bounds in regards to whether or not they'll happen where um, guns are highly regulated or not highly regulated, right? Yes, the two uh, the two examples that I was just thinking of at the beginning, Florida and Texas, right? Really looser gun laws in, in Florida and especially Texas, but I'm here in Florida, so Florida kind of resonates with me, but I, I know we've had, I think there was one in California um, in that real similar time frame. Um, May have been one. Was there one in Illinois? There was one in one in another state that that heavily regulates guns. Um, so I don't want to turn it into that. I don't want to lose sight here of of a of a terrible terrible incident which took less than seven minutes to occur. Right. So we are looking at something that from the moment it started to the moment it ended was right at, right under seven minutes of time that's an amazingly short 
amount of time, right? Um, what's also amazing is, and I believe I believe he may have been on campus, right? Um, because uh, the the officer that was there, uh, Scott Peterson, not to be confused with the other Scott Peterson who had been arrested, I think, for killing his wife, um, or at least accused of killing his wife. Um, right, Jason, wasn't there a guy, Scott Peterson, didn't, didn't he have a couple spouses that died under like strange circumstances? Um, anyway, that, yeah, it was at least one. I maybe fell down the stairs or in a, in a bathtub. Anyway, that's, that's a different Scott Peterson, right? Talking about the Scott Peterson, who was a law enforcement officer, um, and was a school resource officer for Stoneman Douglas High School. So to kind of look at what happened, right? And, and look, we got to we got to talk about something that's that's really dark, really sad and depressing and, and upsetting to have an understanding of what we're looking at, what we're talking about and, and how this all plays out. So um, also keep in mind, I want to those of you who have not heard me speak before, this is not just me as some talking head being the Monday morning quarterback with a law enforcement officer. OK, I want you all to keep in mind couple of things. One, I spent six years in law enforcement, so I know a couple of things about how law enforcement works. Also, I've been trained in active shooter situations, right? As a law enforcement officer, how you react, what you do, what the response is to it. Okay. Thank you, Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. Um, seriously, I was, I was talking to another deputy uh, a week or two ago, and uh, both of us worked at two different departments. And uh, we had both in common at the same time worked for Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. The best hands down training uh, in all of Florida. I challenge you to come up with a better training regimen than what Pinellas County Sheriff's Office has. So um, we did essentially live active shooter training, right? We didn't use actual live rounds, but they were uh, they were called sim rounds, right? They they hit you there. They're like. Um, uh, what are those called? Uh, they're like paintballs in a, in a sense, but it's not from a paintball gun. It's actually from a real gun. It really goes bang. But instead of there being a round on the, on the end, it's, uh, it's basically paint on the end. But it has the back half of it looks like a regular round of ammunition. And it goes bang. And it sounds like a real gun. As close as you could get to it sounding like a real gun. Okay, because um, it's actually fired from a real gun and there's all types of safety pieces put in place. But anyway, that's not the point here. The point here is that you understand that I know what I'm talking about and I'm not just some talking head here. Also, to one up it on top of that, I've been to calls for active shooters. I've actually been in the situation where it's there's an active shooter at this location. Right. And to be amongst the first and. I say the first three, it just so happened that the three of us were right next to each other when the call came out and we were like a block and a half away. First one's there, first one's in, you know, and there's, I can tell you exactly how much hesitation we had. And it's been years now, right? I've been out of law enforcement for 11 years now. Okay. And this was, you know, a few years into my career. So, you know, figure we're 13, 14 years ago. I can tell you how much hesitation each one of us had zero zero from the moment that call came out we hauled over there lights and sirens jumped out three of us got together went in together and that's how it works okay so let's look at what happened here right and let's look at the charges right and, and, and look we'll start with 
Scott Peterson was acquitted of the criminal charges in the case. But let's look at what happened. Let, let's look at the timeline of events and then let's break down from the legal aspect how this all works because you don't you don't listen to me just for my opinion on the way the world works, right? You all listen because you want the legal breakdown. So we're going to hit both sides of it, right? With the emphasis on the legal breakdown and maybe why he got acquitted and, and why possibly a civil suit may be a little different. Could be. We'll see. So... It took him, took, uh, I think, I can't remember if he was an officer or a deputy, um, but it took Scott Peterson a little under two minutes, about a minute and a half, somewhere between a minute and a half and two minutes to get to the school. Okay. And what's important is, and I'm going to get to why legally this is important. When Peterson got to the school, every, the, the shooting on the first floor of the school, was over. The shooter had moved from the first floor and was now on the third floor at the moment that Peterson arrived. Okay. Um, so there were several dead uh, on the first floor of the school. There was nobody on the second floor of the school. Okay. And we're talking about this, this school apparently had um, a couple different buildings uh, as part of it. This was the 1200 building where it happened. Uh, as an interesting aside, that building actually has not been used since then. It was considered a crime scene all throughout the trial. And that the trial's over, it's been turned back over to the school board who is going to be demolishing it. Okay. Um, so that that school actually, or that building in the school has not been used for a school since, and it will never be used for a school again because they're going to demolish it and make it green space. Or at least that's the plan. Okay. But anyway, Peterson gets there somewhere between a minute and a half and two minutes into it shooters on the third floor okay now there's there's some testimony in the trial peterson's on his radio this is what's going on i hear gunshots it's in the 1200 building um possibly some kids running out type of thing okay and he goes and he takes cover and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits okay he, from the moment he was there, the incident lasted another little bit over four minutes. Okay. He waited for 45 minutes to go into that building. Okay. 45 minutes. That is a lot of minutes. Okay. That's approximately what, Jason, about 41 minutes of time after the shooting had stopped. Um, you know, and, and this guy says, I got my life back, right? I was acquitted. I got my life back. Um, we'll start with where my point of view is on this. Um, you should be ashamed of yourself, Mr. Peterson. And if, if you have any questions, you can call me up and I'll explain to you why um, you should be uh, ashamed of yourself. Um, mostly for being a little weenie. Um, look, I get it. I get that the young guys like myself when I was there were not taking school resource officer jobs. We're not being offered school resource officer jobs. And and yeah, is it typically the older guys, the guys closer to retirement, even guys who were retired and, and were called and asked to come back in are taking those school resource officer jobs? Yeah, okay. But you know what? You just need to do the job. And, and the job is that you go in, okay? That is absolutely what the job is. And look, anytime there's an officer officer that 
gets shot, you'll have a litany of people who go, well, they signed up for that. Well, no. Okay. We'll stop that aspect of it right there. No one signs up to get shot. Okay. But when you sign up and, and you sign that paperwork saying that you, and you take that oath, okay, you are signing up to go into that building. You are signing up that, yes, you know what? Maybe if I go in that building, maybe something bad happens to me. You're not signing up for that bad thing to happen, okay? You're signing up that you're going in because you know that those students can't protect themselves. And the only thing stopping the bad guy is you. If you can't do that, if you don't think you can do that, Okay, if you were like my old zone partner who said, I don't go into that bad neighborhood because they have guns, please quit now. Just resign, walk into your major's office, make it dramatic if you want, put it on social media if you want, do it like the movies, take your badge and your gun and stick it on your major's desk. Do it. Do us all a favor and walk away. Okay, because guess what? This whole incident at Stoneman Douglas was not avoidable. And we're going to ignore the political aspect of gun control. But it could have been decreased. Okay. He was, in fairness, Peterson was not there when the shooter was on the first level. Okay. Great. I get it. Right. That's not on him. Everybody else in that building, that's on him. Okay, absolutely 100%. So if you think you got your life back, Peterson, um, dude, you you need to uh, reevaluate uh, yourself and, and look in the mirror and know that that you screwed up. Okay, basic bottom line, you go in and and, and the, our training was you go in that door and you have one thought in mind. That's it. You're not worried about the this is graphic. You're not worried about what's on the floor. Not worried about that. There's people coming in behind you to deal with that. One goal, one focus, and it's not to hug it out with the guy. Promise you that. Um, just not, right? It's one goal in mind, and it is to stop the threat. You find it, you stop it. Now, the critics out there, and what they use as a defense in the criminal case was, he couldn't figure out where it was coming from. There was too much echoing. Okay, sure. That is true. You're going to have some echoing. Okay. Absolutely. Especially, you know, you're in a tight environment, a lot of buildings around. Yeah, you're going to have some echoing. Okay. Outside, you should be able to start narrowing it down to a particular building. Okay. Where the echoing is a major problem is inside. Once you're inside that building, yeah, echoing it is is a really major problem with it, right? Um, but you can use clues, right? So people running towards you, right? That's usually a clue. Like you should go in that direction because chances are that's where it's starting from, right? So you can start using things. If it's dark enough, you might be able to see a muzzle flash and, and start pinpointing things, Okay. So, yes, echoing is a thing, and that's what he used in his defense. But there were some witnesses who said, yep, 
we knew it was coming from the 1200 building. That's where we heard it. There was others that said they couldn't quite figure it out because of the echoing. Okay. Couple couple issues with this though for for Peterson. One, he's got radio traffic that talks about that um, he believes that it's coming from the 1200 building. Okay. So let's start there, right? And, and I wouldn't be second guessing this guy, right? If number one, I hadn't done this and hadn't been trained in it, okay? But number two, if he tried, right? Let's say there's a building next to the 1200 building, right? And I don't know the layout, full layout of the school, but let's say there's a building right next to it. And this guy goes, he goes, well, I think it's coming from this building over here and it's building, we'll call it building 11, right? He goes in building 11, goes in nothing, right? Goes, okay, nope, not this one. Then goes to the next one. But then, hey, by the time he gets over from one to the next, it's all over. Well, guess what? Okay. He did what he was supposed to do, right? He went in. Did he go to the wrong building? Sure, right? But he did it. He went in. But that's not what happened here. He hid and took cover. He was a coward for 45 minutes, okay? Yeah, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. part of his defense was I, I went to wherever the security cameras were and, and tried to use the cameras to pinpoint. Um, still took you 45 minutes. 45 minutes of time, okay? If we want to trace back in history, we can go back to one of the first school shootings, and that was Columbine. And one of the major things that we learned from that shooting was you cannot wait for SWAT to come in. And it's not a knock on SWAT. SWAT just takes, it's just a matter of how it works, right? Um, unless you're in LA that has a dedicated SWAT team, um, they're the only ones that I know of. There may be other departments that have it fully. And when I say dedicated, I mean, full-time, meaning that that's all that they do, right? In every other department, every department that I know of, every department that I've worked in, SWAT is essentially an add-on. So you work in patrol, you're a detective, you're, you're, you know, you're a homicide detective, you're a robbery detective, you're, you work in street crimes, you're doing something else, you're a canine officer. So you, you have your regular job, but you're also a SWAT officer. So what happens is, is everybody in SWAT's in different places. Well, you got to all come together, get rallied up, get your equipment and get off to where you're going. It takes a while, right? And, and it's through no fault. It's just, you know, it's not an everyday call out type of thing. So what was learned from Columbine was that you don't wait for SWAT, right? Which is what they did. There were, and, and don't get me wrong. There was no playbook when Columbine happened, right? Columbine became the playbook and the example for how to train for it, right? Our training was based off of, here's what happened at Columbine, here's here's the, some of the things that we should change, right? And here's, here's why. So the model of waiting for SWAT went out the window and it was, you rally up, first people there are the first people in, right? Um, that's it, you just, you do it, you go in, right? And, and I know several guys that I worked, several guys and girls that I worked with that, you know what, we would have been, even if we were the first solo person there going in, we're not waiting for anybody else. We'll let you know where we are in the radio, but we're going in. Um, and my hat's off to all of you out there who I worked with and those of you who I haven't worked with who would do the same thing. Okay. So all of that, keep all of that in mind. All right. On the third floor, there were seven children that were killed and three adults that were killed, um, of which the state puts the inaction on, or at least in their case, was putting the inaction of Peterson um, on on those deaths, right? And that's what he was charged with. 
Let's look at this from the legal standpoint. I've really, really kind of uh, gone into it in, in pretty, pretty good depth and detail. Uh, if you have any questions, those of you on the live, if you have any questions, uh, it, it, fill in any gaps here. Um, Jason will read them off to me, so that way we can keep the podcast moving and and um, maybe add in if there's if there's other pieces that were missed. So those of you listening on the podcast later on, we have a a, a real coherent, clear message, but the state's case essentially fell apart, right? When we look at it from the legal point of view, and I don't really mean that it fell apart. It's just fitting a round peg through a square hole. There's really no law that says you as an officer can't be a weenie. Like there, there's just not like there's, there's no statute that says if you're an officer and you act like a weenie, um, we can put you in jail. Um, there's <laughs> just not, um, um, Peterson is captain weenie, um, by the way. So those of you who are wondering, but you know, so there's, there's not, but there's in the law, you can get creative and, and that's what we're looking at here, right? Is the state getting creative and saying that, look, we got to do something, right? We, the public outcry in this to go, this guy sat and took cover for 45 minutes and did nothing, nothing. How dare he? Okay, so what did they do? Here's what they charged him with. They charged him with felony child neglect, right? Which the problem is that you usually have to have, be a caregiver, right? So here's, here's really the, the most simplified textbook example, if you will, for it. You're a parent, you leave your kid in the car, right? It's well, summer in Florida, and it's about 1,000 degrees uh, with the heat index. Uh, fun fact, Tampa, city of Tampa has never reached 100 degrees uh, by temperature, but it has it, it exceeds it routinely um, with heat index. But, hey, you leave the kid in the car, you go out, kid dies, it happens. You know, what, Jason, about once or twice a summer, we see a story around here that, that someone did that. Um, that that would essentially be where, where you might see a, um, a felony child um, uh, child neglect, right? The problem is, how do you turn that into that the law enforcement officer was uh, a caregiver, right? So here's here's what the statute reads, okay? Just so that we all are on the same page with this from the legal standpoint. A person who willfully or by culpable negligence neglects a child and in doing so causes great bodily harm, permanent disability, or permanent disfigurement to the child commits a felony of the second degree, okay? So if we take that caregiver part or what his role is out of the equation, yeah, it absolutely fits and he absolutely should have been convicted of all seven counts, okay? There's a ride-along um, statute that was used uh, for the adults as well, so seven kids and three adults, so 10 total charges, um, essentially dealing with felony culpable negligence, um, basically for being a dum-dum, we'll just call it that, okay? Um, but anyway, the, the problem really arises is, especially as a jury, look, juries, you know, there's no there's no middle ground here, right? And sometimes juries like middle grounds because you know, they they find this guy guilty, they find Peterson guilty, and they're essentially giving him a life sentence, right? Um, we we have seen actually in this particular case, right, 
even even within this same case, jurors don't always like giving people things that essentially become a death sentence. Uh, and, and we see that highlighted in the fact that the shooter for this was not uh, the jury in that unanimously convicted him. Okay. But when you're looking at a death penalty trial, it's a two-part thing, right? You have guilty or not guilty, and then you have death penalty. And he was found guilty. However, uh, in the death penalty phase, it was not unanimous. Uh, and I believe there may have been um, some piece that went up to the Supreme Court to determine whether or not um, it had to be unanimous. I, I kind of vaguely remember there being something with the Supreme Court uh, on that. But um, so we, we see that juries don't really like to put somebody away in a, in a way that they're going to die in prison, right? I, I guess in a sense, right? And I guess for the shooter, it was better to have him naturally die in prison than it was to give him a death sentence. Um, Peterson, I, I almost wonder if maybe that's where the jury had some problem with, problems with it. Or, right, is it a stretch to go, he's a school resource officer, so therefore he is a caregiver, so therefore he owed this duty to protect, right? He had he owed this duty to act. And, and I think from a legal standpoint, we run into this very, very weird place to be in. And, and Florida doesn't have a way. Um, Florida, Florida doesn't punish for inaction. They don't, okay? Um, and that's essentially what, what was being asked for here. Or, or the state of Florida doesn't punish for inaction with a stranger in a sense, right? Um, you know, uh, if I if I go out and, you know, I walk in the door and Jason's laid out here um, when he walks in and I, oh, okay, it's nice, um, see ya. And I walk out and, you know, he doesn't make it. I can't be charged with it. I can't be charged with anything. There's there's nothing to charge me with, right? I didn't do anything illegal. And, and, I, and it's kind of the same here, right? So, yes, this guy is a coward. Yes, Peterson did something terrible right by not going in you know what if he went in and didn't make it he would have been hailed a hero he went in and made it and and stopped the guy he would have been a hero 10 times over okay i would have sat here and sung his praises all day long okay and quite frankly you'd be a hero if you went in there and you tried to stop him and the end result was the same as it is now okay you did your job. You did what you were supposed to do, okay? I am not sitting here pretending like it's easy to go in and do it, okay? It's an easy decision to go in, okay? 100% easy decision to go in. Is it easy to be successful in stopping that person? No, it's not, okay? So there's the difference. Easy to go in, really hard to stop the person, it just is, okay? We saw in Uvalde, they, they, there was, I don't know if he was an off-duty officer, but somebody went in and there was a body cam of it that showed the guy going in and, and stopped the guy, right? Stopped it from getting worse, okay? Um, look, even, even if the death toll had remained the same and he went in, right? We all would have been singing his praises because he went in and tried to do it, but he didn't. He didn't. He waited behind cover for 45 minutes, okay? Uh, so 
In the criminal trial, though, the jury found him not guilty. And, and look, the difference between the criminal and the civil trial is this, beyond a reasonable doubt, okay? If there's any doubt in your mind that maybe this guy wasn't negligent, okay, in what he was doing, right, then he's not guilty. And that's how the criminal side works. And, and you know, you get the right jury, Right, you you get people who who are not law enforcement, who are not military, who aren't friends with law enforcement or military, and don't have that thought process. Get those get those people on your jury. That's what I would be looking for, right? If I'm picking a jury on the defense side, I'm looking for that. Look, we make essentially profiles of what we want our ideal juror to be, right? And I know profiles become a bad thing, but I don't know of another name for it because. We look and go, this is the type of person that fits in the box that we think gives us the best likelihood of success, right? Do you think the former SWAT officer on a jury is going to acquit Steven, uh, Peterson for not going in? I, no, no. So that's not who you want. You want somebody completely different, right? You, you kind of want grandma who sits at home and knits all day, who is, is going to be scared of that type of thing and can relate to him. Right. So that's what you would want on the defense side. And I think if you get that, now all of a sudden you get the ability to create that reasonable doubt that, hey, he didn't know. He didn't know where it was coming from. It was perfectly reasonable to sit and cover and, uh, you know, wash your hands of it. So um, but it's not over for him because there is a civil trial out there. And uh, it is what's today, the 24th, I believe, of July, July 24th. So in about 10 days, August 4th, this is, this is mind-blowing to me. I'm, I, I understand why the judge did it. Um, it's, I haven't heard of, of this happening in any of the other cases, but the judge in the civil case for the same case that we're talking about is allowing a reenactment of the shooting um, at the school, at that same building, at that building 1200. Um, and originally there was some talk of whether or not they would use um, blanks or or regular rounds, uh, or not regular, but actual live rounds. Uh, they're going to do it with live rounds. They're going to use, um, they make these, these big, long uh, shoots, right, that are, um, uh, they're ballistic shoots, and you can shoot a live round into it, and it, it it stops it. Now, the question I would have, right, in this is those are made of metal, right? So they echo and reverberate. So I know the idea is that it's going to sound and echo closer to what it was in real life. Um, but you're also then firing around into something that's going to make noise. So, um, but it, it's it's mind-blowing. So they're going to reenact the way this happened um, in the same place that it happened using the same, I don't know if they're using the actual firearms or same model firearms. I don't think it matters, right? I mean, a Glock 40 is a Glock 40 is a Glock 40 is a Glock 40. They're all going to sound the same, right? They, they just are. <laughs> I can assure you they're not going to sound any different, okay? Um, and that's that's kind of the thought process of, of where they're going with this is the sound and, and kind of showing that in... I, just mark my words here, right? We can mark the tape. Remember, back in the day, used to actually mark. They actually used to be tape, like actual tape, and they would cut it to edit. Anyway, um, good old days or the bad old days. I don't know, um, but anyway, I I would bet you that what they'll find out is the echo and locating where the shooting was coming from 
was not as bad from the outside, that it was a lot easier to locate where, or at least what building the shooting was coming from versus inside where exact location within the building is going to be a lot harder. And, and, I, and I would bet you that's what, what is going to be found out is once you're in the building, right, the echo and, and the disorientation from it, and it's loud, look, right, once you're in there, it is no picnic whatsoever, right? It, and it doesn't matter that he's on the third floor and you're on, you're on the first floor as you walk in. It's going to be loud and it's going to echo. And, and and the reality is on that, right, not to get too deep in the weeds on it, is there's no real way to train that in real life, right? Because we would always wear hearing protection, especially inside. Well, we always we wore it inside and outside, right? But you could tell the difference like you knew like we did night fire stuff inside and uh you could you could definitely tell the difference when we were inside there versus outside even though you had the same ear protection it was definitely louder there's definitely more reverberation there was de- it was definitely a different experience but it's gonna be much louder without it right you're gonna go in you're like we didn't have any ear protection in our cars, right? So when you went in, you just went in. Um, so yeah, could that sound be disorienting? Absolutely, right? When we did the training for it, we had ear protection on, right? So because at the end of the day, I mean, you're training, right? You, you can't, you don't want to destroy your hearing in a training exercise. Um, I, I, would, I, I would wear hearing aids all day long if it meant going in and, uh, and saving some of those kids, so. I mean, that's, that's just the trade-off. Oh, you know, little, little piece that I did read, though, also, was that he didn't have his vest with him. Um, I mean, dude, if, if that's going to be what stops you from taking action, maybe you should wear it, right? I mean, I didn't wear my vest most of the time. Um, it didn't stop me. I did ever, like, I actually purposely didn't wear it because um, it was heavy, <laughs> and uh, it, it made it a little bit harder to breathe when you were chasing somebody. So, I mean, I just made a decision. I just didn't wear it, but it didn't stop anything. Didn't I, It didn't prevent anything. I did everything that I would have with it. Um, but, hey, I'll tell you what, if I was in that situation right there, because I always kept you know, it was always on my um, on my passenger seat when I didn't wear it. I'd have put it on. I just, boop, you just slide it over your head, Velcro, and you're off, right? So, but even if I didn't have it, going in. Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. But just keep in mind some of those factors, right? We're going to be looking at this, this civil suit, right? And, you know, I think if they can show potentially, right, that if I'm on the defense side, right? And I go, look, it was so echoey in there. It still would have taken him, it would have taken him five minutes or more to locate where this was, Right he probably wins because we know it was a little bit about a little bit over four minutes in time. Right. And if there would have been no difference of him being inside the building or outside of the building, then, you know, because of not being able to find it type of thing, then he probably wins. And then he's not necessarily negligent, even though he kind of is because, well, he went and hid behind cover because he's a, Big Captain Weenie. Anyway, um, I but I would expect a jury in a civil case to, to actually find for the plaintiffs, which would be um, the families of the students and um, and the adults that were killed in it. 
I, I really expect that because the bar to get over is a lot lower. Like the bar for a criminal is extremely high, right? Beyond reasonable doubt. If you if you think that there's an alternate alternative way that this could have happened, or if there's any doubt in your mind that that this person is not guilty, then you got to go with not guilty. Um, it, it's essentially a tipping of the scales when you're talking about a civil case. So, and I think they're going to be successful in being able to show that even just a little bit that Peterson was negligent. I would argue it's a lot, right? And, and I get the the criminal case. Uh, I get not winning the criminal case. Like I said, the charge you kind of had to massage it to make it work, and then you gotta then you have that increased standard when you're dealing with a criminal case. So, um, just remember, if you're in law enforcement, go in the building, and if you don't think you can do it, go find another profession. Go be a bailiff, right? I mean, look, I used to do off duty work with the bailiffs. I like them, all nice guys, right? They, the guys and girls, right? Really, like they are. Um, I don't know the last time I've heard of a shooting at a courthouse, probably because, um, you know, metal detectors and pat downs and you know, things of that nature. But, um, yeah, if you're scared, get out of the profession or go be a bailiff. Um, go be an analyst. I don't know. Go, go be a 911 call taker if you, uh, you're called to that, but you can't go in. Don't do it. All right. And on that. Law Father out.